Um, interestingly, so I, I'm going to introduce Kyle, our speaker for the morning. I asked him, what was your first kind of encounter with Jesus or your, the first time you really were aware that he was real? And he said he grew up in a Christian home, so his parents were believers, and he kind of always had this sense that God was with him. But during a worship song and an altar call, they were singing, I surrender all, and just the words, it was, he was seeing the words and thinking about them. And they had an effect on him where he realized, like, this is a moment where I need to choose. Again, not just like what my parents are doing, but I have a personal choice here to surrender. And he did. <clears throat> I really enjoyed talking with him. He's the, he's the pastor of this church, and they have a couple satellite uh, locations. Um, I asked him, because I get to ask hard questions, I said, what is the hardest thing for you to obey Jesus in? And I like asking people that question because it kind of gets at the heart of sometimes what they're really called to. And he told me the location. So he was a church planter in L.A. and really enjoyed that. Loved L.A., loved the people, loved church planting. And then God called him to Louisville. And I, you know, I kind of like on the side wonder if anyone really loves where they're called to. Like, are people in Hawaii wishing they were in the mountains or something? Like, it seems like it's just a common thread of like, I'm following Jesus, but why am I here, you know? Uh, and I asked him, what is it about Louisville? So I, I had in my mind, there's some differences between L.A. and Kentucky. Uh, but I didn't want to assume it. So I just asked him, what, what was the difference that you saw? <clears throat> and I grew up in Las Vegas. I live in Tulsa, which is also very different than, than each other. And he said, you know, he was afraid of coming to a place that really had a church culture. And that he would just encounter a lot of religion. And there, there wouldn't be real gospel power. He said, that was my fear, but as I followed Jesus into this, I saw that the gospel applies to everyone and that even people who think that they're good, even the church people really need, it, really need Jesus. And I asked one of his staff, apart from this yesterday, what do you think is, what is the thing that draws people to this church or these sites? And he told me, not knowing our conversation, he said, it's the fact that you can come as a real human and deal with your raw self and find Jesus in it. So as a testimony to what he is really trying to do is bring Jesus to a kind of a church culture, but really to everyone. So the gospel applies to unbelievers, it applies to people in overt sin, and it applies to self-righteous religious people. It calls them both to Jesus. I asked him, what do you love most about what you're doing? And he said, just one life at a time being transformed by the grace of Jesus. That's his passion. This is a huge church. I don't know how many thousands of people come here, but I love that he told me like what their main focus is and what he drives at is just one person at a time encountering Jesus and being changed. And I think you're going to get that this morning. So will you welcome Kyle Eidelman for Hey, good morning. So, uh, like, what are you, what are you doing, what are you doing here? Like, like, what are you doing here? It's early on a Friday morning, and you're sitting in a missions conference at a church in Kentucky. Like, was this part of your plan? When you sat down with the guidance counselor in high school, did this figure in? to what your life would look like? I, I suppose for some of you, it probably did. You may have had a clear calling from God at an early age, and you had a sense of how he had gifted you and how he might want to use those gifts for the kingdom. 
And so this is just kind of another step in being obedient to the calling that God has given you. But I suspect for many of you, you're not even sure how you got here, like, right now. It, you're not really clear on why God has brought you here. I would just say to you, it's not an accident that you're sitting in this place. And one of the ways God calls us is, I don't know the right theological language for this, but he, I hope this is okay, he kind of tricks us into it sometimes. Like, like you're in it before you realize what you signed up for. You ever feel that way? That's how it happens for me. I grew up in a home where my dad was um, a preacher, and I didn't think I wanted to be a preacher. In fact, I was sure of it. But I got into my freshman year, and I was at this Bible college where my dad was the president of this of this seminary, and um, and his secretary was in charge of lining up the, the preachers on the weekends at these little tiny churches all over the Midwest. And it was a Thursday afternoon, and there was this little church called Christ Church of Perseverance. Like, they just tell you in the name what it's going to take to go to church there and be a pastor there. It's going to take perseverance. We're just going to tell you up front. And so there was this little church. They needed somebody to preach on Sunday. And my dad's secretary called me and said, hey, would, would you be willing to go preach at this church? Well, I knew I didn't want to be a preacher. But then she said, it, it, it pays $50. I'm just being honest with you. As a college student, I, I mean, I was donating blood. So preaching for 50 bucks, it didn't, it seemed like it was a, a good deal. And so I, I went to, to preach at this church. I got done preaching, although I wouldn't have called it preaching. I was 19 years old. I was just talking about what I believed. And I got done with it. And they said, hey, do you want to come back and preach here next week? Um, yeah, okay, I'll do that next week. Then after that week, do you want to come preach the next week? Sure. Yeah, I'll do that the next week and then the next week and then the next week. And then I walk out of the sanctuary on a Sunday morning and they have this little lobby with a bulletin board and they have this piece of paper that's been printed out. And it just says, Kyle Eidelman, senior pastor. I'm like, <laughs> wait, wait, what? Like we, I, there was no application. There was certainly no burning bush. There wasn't even an invitation. Like it just, like he just. He just tricked me. Like, God just tricked me into it. He's like, oh, yeah, you're going to be doing this. And, and so over the next four years, I was the preacher pastor at Christ Church of Perseverance. <laughs> what I remember about that church specifically is they had a, a baptistry. And I don't know if we didn't have the lights on in the baptistry. but uh, So they had a baptistry. And it wasn't like we, like we have a, this is like a swimming pool. I don't, I don't know how you do baptisms, but when we do baptisms, like it's, it's a swim party, and people are getting dunked all the way under. But Christ Church of Perseverance, that's not what their baptistry looked like. So their baptistry was a closet, easiest way to describe it. It was full of folding chairs. Just That's how they used it. It was storage. They needed the space for folding chairs. There was probably some committee. And they said, well, where can we put the folding chairs? Well, the baptistry never gets used. Okay, let's put them in the baptistry. And so for I don't know how long, they had kept folding chairs in this baptistry. And I remember the first, I don't know how many months, just having this angst about that. Like, we're preaching the gospel. And granted, it might seem like everybody here has been a Christian longer than I've been alive, but it seems like we should have some water in the baptistry. And, and so eventually we took those chairs out and we filled up the baptistry with water, but 
It was a long time before it was actually used. When it did get used, I started um, caring very much about each story represented at Christ Church of Perseverance. Every person that was baptized, and to this day, I could probably go through and name off most of the people who were baptized in those four years. Not that that would be some great memory feat, but maybe 10 or 12 people. And I, um, I just fell in love with one person at a time, responding to the gospel. I realized pretty quickly that to have the right heart and spirit for ministry, that needed to have my attention. Because if I put my focus on how many people were sitting out in the seats, if I put my focus on the programs that we were able to offer at Christ Church of Perseverance, I would have gotten pretty discouraged quickly. But when you see one life at a time being transformed by the redeeming work of God's grace, it, it's a beautiful thing. It's why I get up in the morning. I love some of the stories that have come out of uh, this baptistry. I'll tell you a few. Uh, we had a, a baptism weekend last year, and this uh, guy came down into the water, and he was a Navy SEAL. And so when he comes down into the water, he says to me, he says, Hey, Kyle, when, when, you, when you dunk me, I want you to hold me down for somewhere between two to three minutes. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know, that, I don't know what that's going to do. To those who are thinking about getting baptized, like, like maybe you can handle that. But for everyone else out there that was sort of on the fence. And so I said, look, man, two to three minutes is a long time. I'll give you a 10 count, 10 seconds. That's in comparison to two or three minutes. That felt like a, a relatively small commitment. But listen, when there's thousands of people and it's one, two Three, four, like there's a panic that starts to walk through the room. Like, is he going to bring him back up? And so I, may, I might have made it to five or six before I pulled him back up. But I loved his spirit. Like his, his spirit was from Romans 6, the old is gone, the new has come. And I, I, if, I'm dying, if this is me dying to myself, then I, I, want, to, I, want, to, I want to die to myself. I, I liked that. I'll tell you about this... Uh, elderly lady that came into the, the water here and she was she was scared to death of water um if any of you have a, a water phobia uh, there's probably a correct name for that probably many of you know it but if you have this uh water phobia you know it's real like she's terrified of it she hasn't been underwater in decades y'all like decades and and yet she felt very convicted that that she needed to respond and to be baptized. And so I said, hey, look, I'll be with you every step. And, and I got down in the water with her, and I put my arm around her like this, and I said, we're just going to do this together. I'm going to go all the way down. I'm going to stay right with you. And I could just see on her face that she was terrified, but she, I mean, she was going to be obedient, and she was going to, to make this decision. And so I start to to baptize her and right about here she locks up and you know she's five foot tall hundred and ish pounds and i'm putting some muscle into this and she i mean she's not it's not gonna happen she puts her arm around my neck like this and she's holding on tight and i'm pushing and and it looked like i'm baptizing somebody against their like you're gonna be baptized and it, it <laughs> It's not sending the right message to everyone else. And so I kind of pull her back up. 
And she said, I want to do this. I'm like, okay. Let's go. One more round. One more round. And so I, I'm baptizing her, and I, I had heard from other pastors about this um, uh, method that is sometimes used in the baptistry, but I had never had the opportunity to implement. It's uh, to sweep the leg. It's, uh, it's the karate kid moment. And y'all, I, I mean... I mean, I just, I just, I just did it. And, uh, I don't think in the moment, I don't even think she realized what had happened. Uh, but, but she was, she was baptized and, and it was beautiful. And she, and she was an example to me of somebody who says, I'm, I'm going to be obedient to what God's calling me to do, even though it is way out of my comfort zone. Um, I, I tell you about another lady that came into the water here. She, um, she recently left a, a pretty abusive relationship, and she had a story that would just, you know, break your heart. Been through a lot of suffering, a lot of challenges in her life, and I knew a little bit about her story. But she had this tattoo on her forearm that looked relatively new. And, and the tattoo just said, kiss the wave. Kiss the Wave. And I had, I had preached a series um, a few months prior uh, called Kiss the Wave. It's based on Charles Spurgeon's quote. It's a beautiful quote, and maybe it's why some of you are even here this morning to hear this one quote. I have learned to kiss the wave that casts me against the rock of ages. I have learned to kiss the wave that casts me against the rock of ages. That the very things in life that seem to want to destroy us and tear us down hold potential and opportunity for us to meet God and discover his power and presence in a way that we've never known before. Kiss the wave. And I look down and I see this tattoo on her forearm. And after I baptize her, I ask her a little bit about that. And she just explained to me that when she heard that quote, she didn't think much of it at the time, but as the week went on and she went through a really difficult time, she just kept reminding herself to kiss the wave, kiss the wave, kiss the wave, kiss the wave. And, and so what she found in that quote that was rooted in Scripture was, was a metaphor, but it was also a mantra for her. It was a metaphor, gave her an image that she could hang on to when things were really difficult, something simple, but it was a picture and it was needed when, when everything was falling apart. But it was also a mantra, just a simple statement of truth that she could count on at, at certain times. And so what I want to do is I want to talk to you a little bit about the power of a, a gospel metaphor that gets used for ministry mantra. And, and as a church, we've been talking about this, that we have these different mantras that are rooted in the gospels that give us direction. They inspire us. They challenge us. Um, they they let us know where we need to keep our focus. And if you look through scripture, this is a this is a common way that God teaches so in the Old Testament, think about some of the ways that God identifies himself. He identifies himself um, shepherd, uh, a rock. Um, he identifies himself as father. Right. So there are these metaphors, true, but also metaphors, images that we can understand that teach us who he is and how we can relate to him. Jesus did the same thing. I am the light of the world, he said. Um, I am the good shepherd. 
Uh, I am the door. I am the bread of life. I am the living water. All of these metaphors teach us something very deep and profound that we would have a hard time understanding through just some kind of explanation. Uh, The Holy Spirit is described as a wind and fire. And so Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit in John 3 as a wind. You're not sure where it came from. You don't know where it's going. You can't catch it and good luck trying to box it up. But you know it when you feel it. You know him when you feel him. And, and then the church, of course, is often described by use of metaphors. If you think about like the bride of Christ, um, a physical body, the church is used, uh, the, that metaphor is used to describe the church. So, so in scripture, there are all kinds of metaphors that get used to help us understand things that would be difficult to kind of wrap our minds around. And, and so what I want to do is I, I want us to talk about a, a metaphor that's used in the gospels that I think has the the power to be used um, as a mantra. Uh, the word mantra uh, probably makes maybe some of you a little bit uncomfortable, but uh, it, it's just a short series of words. The question would be, where is the mantra rooted in? And so just to be clear, these only come from from the gospel. I, I have a friend who's a, a sports psychologist, and, and he was telling me that part of his job as a sports psychologist is to, to help uh, athletes, professional athletes, and, and, and sometimes teams, develop mantras to help them. And so when an athlete is, is struggling, like there's a certain part of the race or the game where they just they feel tired and they feel worn out, he'll give them a mantra. Like, okay, at this moment, this, you need to just be intentional to say this truth to yourself because there are going to be other things that you're tempted to say to yourself. And, and in these moments, you just need to be intentional to remind yourself, here's what is true. And he'll sometimes go in and help entire teams develop a mantra so that if they're a little bit tired or they've lost some ambition, they can kind of focus in on this phrase and it brings unity and it ties them together and it, and it helps them keep going. So I, I think that's what Jesus is doing with his disciples in John 15. So in, in John 15, just to give you a little context here, uh, Jesus has been in the upper room for the Last Supper. Uh, by this time, Judas has already left. So he's down to 11. And several of them have been arguing already that evening about which one of them is the greatest. And, and so Jesus knows there's a lot that they still need to learn, but he doesn't have much time left. What do you say when there's a lot to say, but only a little time? And so as they leave this upper room, they're walking along these uh, roads to the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus knows what's going to happen in the Garden of Gethsemane. He knows what awaits him there, right? Like he, he knows he's going to be arrested and he's going to be tried and he's eventually going to be crucified. He knows what's coming. But following him are these guys who seem somewhat oblivious. I mean, he's tried to prepare them, but they, they don't seem to really understand what is about ready to happen. And he knows what they're going to experience. Right? They're going to be challenged to go into all the world to, to spread the gospel to all creation. But it's going to be difficult. And there's going to be opposition. And there will be obstacles. And if they are trying to determine God's call on their life based on how smooth their circumstances go, they're not going to last very long. And so Jesus knows what they're going to be dealing with. What, you know, what can he say to them? He's preached all kinds of sermons. And they've, they've listened to him. They've watched him. 
We've only got a little bit of time. What can he say to them? Because I, I think whatever he says to them might be what he'd want to say to you. You who have been sent, you who will be sent. So he's walking along the cool darkness of night. And, and he sees these uh, vines that come up from the road about waist high. And off the vines are these branches. And some of the branches could be like a 100 feet long. And they bear fruit. There's grapes. And, and as long as the branch stays connected to the vine, then, then the branch is going to bear fruit. If it gets disconnected, then it, it's going to lose its source of strength. And so the branch... Really, the only job is to stay connected to the vine. And so Jesus, as he's, as he's walking with his disciples, he says to them in John 15, verse 5, I am the vine, and you are the branches. If you remain in me, and if I remain in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can't do anything. There it is. Here's what I want you to know. I'm the vine, and you're the branch. If, if you can uh, hang on to that, you'll be okay. If you can get that right, you'll have what you need. But you get it confused, you're going to be in trouble. You start thinking you're the vine, <laughs> good luck with that. You start thinking that it's your dedication, it's your intelligence, it's your giftedness that brings about the fruit. Uh, it's only a matter of time until you get worn out. You're going to be tired and you're going to be frustrated. Um, it might work for a little while, but it won't last long. Best case scenario, you bear, bear a little bit of fruit. And, but, but chances are it'll lead to either pride or insecurity because you think you're the vine. And if it goes well, then look what I did. And now you're setting yourself up for a fall. If it doesn't go well, at least the way we measure it, then you feel like a failure. You start to question whether or not God really wanted you to do what, what you're doing. I'm, I'm the vine, you're the branches. You stay connected to me. It's be the branch. That's, that's the mantra. Be the branch. I uh, was thinking about you all this morning as I drove in, just praying for, for many of you. I, I know that for some of you, you come here and you're a little bit discouraged by different things. Like some of you, I think, are probably discouraged by, by progress. I get that. You thought you'd be further than you are now. You thought certain doors would have opened and they haven't. You thought certain people would support you and they didn't. Or, or maybe you're a little bit discouraged by, by the church. Because... You, you thought once I respond to this call, the church is going to, they're going to rally around me. I'm not going to be alone in this, but the truth is you, you feel, you feel kind of alone. I, I, I understand that. Like, um, one of the ways I know that I am being the vine instead of the branch is I start to expect a lot more out of people than I should. I start to, well, I start to look at the people to be the vine. Like, okay, I want you to be my source of strength. I want you to be where I find my fulfillment and my satisfaction. And people will disappoint you. I have a pastor friend who says, uh, 
God, really, I really like being a pastor if it wasn't for all the people. Right? Some of you who are doctors get that. Like, you'd love being a doctor if it wasn't for all the patients. Right? I, I, I understand. And, and to me, that's kind of a, a red flag as a pastor that I'm not getting the strength where I need to get the strength from. But, but people can be discouraging. I, I, I remember the first uh, time I was kind of exposed to this in church where the church was just... You know, God has given this incredible mission to us to go into all the world, and yet we can spend so much time bickering and being divided over things that really aren't that significant. For me, I was first exposed to that at Christ Church of Perseverance when they wanted to have, well, I, we wanted to have, my wife and I wanted to have like an old school potluck dinner. You know, potluck dinners, everybody brings whatever, and you throw all your leftovers in a jello salad and put it on the table. I mean, that, it was just bring whatever you want, and after church, we're going to have this potluck dinner. And we thought, you know, it would be a great way to get to know our community and get to know some of the neighborhoods. And we'll invite them to this after church potluck dinner. But there was uh, a lady in the church who got upset because she didn't like the name potluck. She felt like the word luck was a word that didn't, be- didn't belong in the church. And I first heard that and I thought, oh, come on. You know, I listened to her trying to be polite, but... I didn't really care. And then she started she started getting other people on this, uh, you know, potluck bandwagon that now we can't have a potluck. You know, that's that's the devil. And so I said, well, look, I, I'm not I'm not again. Like, we can call it something different. What do you what do you have in mind? Like what you have an alternative? Now, no criticism without contribution. What's your contribution? What do you want to do here? And she said, um, well, we were thinking that maybe we call it a, a pot. A pot blessing instead of a pot luck. Pot blessing. Huh. I wonder if maybe that sends uh, an unintended message. Like it's a marijuana festival at Christ Church of <laughs> Perseverance. And you bring your pot and we'll, we'll, bless a, we'll bless your pot for you. And then I thought, well, maybe this has some legs. Like maybe for reaching visitors and guests. Maybe this is brilliant. So we switched it from potluck to pot blessing. And I was amazed at how much time we spent just arguing and talking about something that was so insignificant. And, and some of you have seen that. As a church leader, I, I would tell you that I'm sorry if that's what you've got from the local church. We need to do better. And those of you who are sent and obey that great commission. You go. You are our heroes. And sometimes we just get distracted and caught up in things that don't, don't really matter. Some of you have been surprised by criticism. Like you thought people would really encourage you. And, and instead you've been criticized in, in ways that you just didn't expect. You didn't see coming. So uh, I sometimes keep emails of, of critical emails that I can share in conferences like this um, that would not be appropriate to share to the whole church and perhaps not appropriate to share here either, but it, it feels somewhat therapeutic. And, and so um, I, I used in a sermon a number of years ago, I was talking about my five-year-old son, that we, we, he, I looked outside the window and, at, at the house and he had our cat, he was swinging the cat around like, like this, and then he switched to the tail. And I ran out there. I'm like, hey, yo, you can't, you know, you can't do that. I don't remember the point of the illustration. I'm sure it was profound and biblical. But the, uh, I, I finished telling that story. And then I get an email 
the next week and, and this, this person sends in the email. There are several issues here. I hope you will read and absorb, Kyle. I do not appreciate your pet abuse story or your flip attitude. Your son is abusing a harmless animal. How the heck could he have done this? Don't you and your wife teach him anything? That dear animal will be traumatized forever. I kept my neighbor's cat after I saw what her four kids did to this poor cat. Y'all, she stole her neighbor's cat. That's what she just said. I kept my neighbor's cat. I had to keep it. That was the right thing for me to do. They finally moved away. My last cat, Angel, I had for over 13 years, died seven years ago. But I tell you, let God be my witness, I would have taken a bullet for her. In addition to the unexcused action by your son, some whack job in your church will hear your story and do the same thing with their animal. Kyle, you need to wake up. Maybe we should take your son outside and swing him around by his pee-pee tail and see how he likes it. I feel like we stepped over a line. I may still call the animal shelter on your family. In addition, I didn't like your sermon. It was depressing and bored me. It seems like you're cockier than usual, and now it's clear to me that you're a jerk. You're not sensitive. You're not compassionate. You're not humble. You, are never, you will never come close to the last senior pastor, and we hope you don't last here very long. Grace and peace. No, that's not in like, That's not in That was not part of the email. There was no grace and peace attached. <laughs> See, I feel better. I, you know, the, the truth is that you, you think you're going to get encouragement, and, and sometimes you find yourself on the receiving end of, of criticism. And so if you're trying to get your strength from other people's applause, you're going to be disappointed. The reason we answer this call, it, it's for an audience of one. We're just being obedient to... What God has called us to do, Not, nothing less, nothing more than that. And because he is the vine, we'll let him worry about the fruit, right? Like, for, let me give you an example of this. So for, for me, I, I struggled a little bit, not a little bit, a lot of bit, as a church planter because I, I had this uh, pressure that I had put on myself to produce fruit. Like, there was no church with no people, so there needed to be people and there needed to be a church. So I had all this, this pressure. I, I, I got to produce, I got to produce, got to produce. In my eagerness to produce, I neglected to connect. And at, at some point I would say things even shifted to where I thought if I could produce, that would somehow connect me. That production would somehow equal connection. Maybe I even thought somewhere deep inside that if God, if God's going to let me connect, I have to produce which is not at all the gospel. But that didn't work out for me very well. And I remember as a church planter, just uh, having some sleepless nights and um, taking some sleeping pills to help me sleep at night. I remember one time in particular waking up in the middle of the night and having, you know, having this, uh, this nightmare of starting a church and, and like there's, you know, nobody there. Like my wife overslept in the, my dream. Like nobody was there. It's just me. And I, I woke up in the night and I had this strange, strange sense that God was laughing at me. That's not what you want. Like if, you're, if you've never heard the audible voice of God before, the first thing you, you, you don't want to hear is laughter. Like the sense that he's kind of laughing at you. But my wife would say to me all the time, hey, Kyle, this isn't, this isn't your church. This is his church. Why are you acting like this is yours? 
Why do you act? In, why are you acting like it all depends? It doesn't depend on you. And when you start to put the emphasis on on production instead of connection, it's an incredible amount of pressure that you're putting on yourself. It won't it won't last. I I am sometimes asked as a pastor at this church, I'll, I'll sometimes be at a conference or a podcast or something, and and they'll say, hey. <clears throat> Why do you think Southeast has grown so, um, so dramatically for, for so long over the years? I remember the first time I was asked that was about 10 years ago. I was at a conference, kind of like this one. I was up on stage, and the, the guy doing a question and answer time, the guy asked the question. So why, why do you think? I listened to the question, and, and I started to respond. And the first word out of my mouth was the word, We. Like I was going to say, well, we do this and this and this. And as soon as I said the word we, I, uh, I sensed the Holy Spirit speaking to my spirit and saying, um, excuse me? Did you say we? And I stopped and immediately was overwhelmed with this conviction that I was this close to taking credit for something that only God could do. And my mind went to Moses, where Moses is leading the people through the desert towards the promised land. You remember this scene? And the people are frustrated and they're thirsty. And so Moses prays as the leader on behalf of the people. And God said, okay, okay, here's what I want you to do. You speak to the rock. And when you speak to the rock, I'm going to bring water out of the rock. Moses is annoyed. He's irritated. The people, and, and he doesn't speak to the rock, you remember, he strikes it, smacks that thing, and then he says to the people, must we bring forth water out of this rock? And God said to Moses, Moses, because you didn't honor me as holy in this moment, you, you will not be entering the promised land. And I always assumed that the problem was Moses striking when he was supposed to speak. He hit the rock. God didn't say hit the rock. He said, speak to the rock. I always thought that was the issue. I, I think instead probably the problem was the pronoun. Must we bring forth water out of this rock? There's no we. There's no we. Like you can't bring water out of a rock. I don't care how hard you hit it. That's a God thing. That is a God moment. And may God forgive us if we ever, for a moment, start thinking that the production is a we thing. We stay connected, but the vine is the one that gives us everything we need. What does Jesus say? John, I'm the, John 15, verse 5. If you remain in me and I remain in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, what can you do? Nothing. You can do nothing. In, in verse 1 of that passage, if, if you look at it, Jesus puts an adjective in front of vine. He says, I am the what? You have it there? True. I am the true vine. Which would lead you to believe that maybe there are some imitation vines. Imitation vines. But what can you get from an imitation vine? Imitation fruit. Like that's the best you can hope for from an imitation vine. It's not real. And so when, when your vine becomes... Your title, when your vine becomes your resume, when your vine becomes your righteousness, when 
when you become your vine, you might, it might bear some fruit, at least it might, might what it looks like, but it's not real fruit, it's imitation fruit. And if the branch isn't connected to the vine, what do you call a branch that isn't connected to a vine? What do you call that? Yeah, call it a stick. So be the branch, I think it's a pretty good mantra. Be the stick. It's not very inspiring, really. But what do you do with sticks? You gather them up, and Jesus says, where do you throw them? Fire. Throw them on the fire. Because once a branch is disconnected from the vine, it's not worth anything. It's just a stick. I, uh, I brought up here with me a, a stick with some fruit on it. Like, um, just a stick. It's not connected to a vine. So it's, but it's, it, the fruit's not real fruit. Like, that's, like that's uh, from Michael's. That's plastic. That's plastic fruit. But, but the thing is, like, from a distance, you might look at that and think, yeah, that's okay. That's all right. But you get close to it, and you taste it especially. Uh, that's, it's not real. won't satisfy. Here, here's what I would say that many of us can do is we settle... We settle for this. This is what our ministry, this is what our lives can end up looking like. From a distance, it looks okay. Like people might see it. And we can maybe put up a pretty good front and, and, and it looks good. But we're just sticks with some pieces of plastic connected to it. And it gets exposed. And, and so the call... It's to not be the stick. The call is to, is to be the branch. To let that be the mantra. And so, I know over these next few days, you're going to get some really practical helps. You'll talk about some best practices. And I hope you take a lot of notes. I hope God teaches you some new things. But I promise you that there's nothing more important than just being the branch. You stay connected to Jesus. You trust him to do what you could never do on your own. One of the things I love about stories like that in the baptistry is it's just constant reminder to me that it has so little to do with what what we try to accomplish. You, you don't get to transform lives like that because you're smart enough or creative enough or compelling enough. That's only the gospel that does that. It's only grace that does that. Last week I was uh, speaking at this uh, thing in in uh, Boston, and I I got done speaking, and this guy named Adam came up to me, and and Adam had uh, had been in prison, and, and when he was in prison, he he was uh, he was ashamed of this, but he was illiterate, so he couldn't read or write. But there was another inmate that was a follower of Jesus that found out that Adam couldn't read or write, and, and this inmate decided to use that as an opportunity to tell Adam about Jesus. He, he saw that there was this very real need, and he said, I can meet that need, and that might give me an open door to talking to Adam about Jesus. And so he said to Adam, I'll teach you how to read and write, but look, <clears throat> the only catch is we're only going to use the Gospel of Mark. I'm just going to study the the Gospel of Mark. It's this book in the Bible. It tells us about the life of Jesus. And I was like, yeah, okay, well, yeah, that's fine, whatever. I, 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 he wanted to learn to read and write while he was in prison. And so this guy started to teach him to read, to write, and Adam learned to, 
to read by reading about the life of Jesus. And Adam gave his life to Jesus while he was in prison. He gets out of prison and he, he becomes a part of this small church in this small town. And I don't know what Adam did to go to prison. He didn't tell me and I, I obviously didn't ask. And, and some people in the church so found out about his past. And one family in particular, kind of a prominent family, went to the pastor and said to the pastor, Hey, look, you neither need to ask Adam to leave or we're going to leave. And the pastor, to his credit, said, um, You know, we're here for people like Adam. It's one of the reasons Jesus came to earth is to set the prisoner free. And we, you know, Adam is welcome here. And so this family left. And then some other families were talking about leaving. And Adam, as he's sharing with me a story, said, I, I didn't want to do that to the pastor. I, I didn't want to create a mess for him to clean up. Right? And so he decided that he was just going to quietly go. But on a Sunday night before he left, after church, the pastor called him up to the front. Small church, Sunday night service. Hey, Adam. Before we dismiss, could you just, could you come up to the front? I hate to do this in front of everyone, but there's a conversation I just feel like I need to have with you before you leave. And some of the people in the congregation, they, they felt awkward about it, like it needed to happen. But it sure would have been nice if the pastor could have handled this one-on-one where it would be a little less awkward. And Adam, for his part, he, he, was, uh, he was ashamed and he was embarrassed about what was about ready to go down. And so he, he stood up at the front and head down, pastor says to the church. Uh, since Adam has been out of uh, prison, he's had a hard time finding employment. So I've reached a decision that I wanted to offer him a job of helping take care of our church facilities. And the pastor reached into his pocket and pulled out a set of keys to the church. Handed them to Adam. Adam, you'll be needing these. It's a set of keys to the church so you can open the church before people come on Sunday. And you'll be the last one to leave. You'll need to close it when everybody is finished. And as Adam is telling me his story, you know, he just had you know tears running down his cheeks. And he said to me... <clears throat> It's the first time in my life I've ever had a key to anything. And he felt loved and he felt accepted. And um, he was telling me this story. I, I guess I should tell you. I was where I was speaking. I, I wasn't speaking at a prison. No, I was speaking at a pastor's conference. Now, he's been a pastor at that church for the past six years. I hear stories like that. It is a reminder to me that we are 100% dependent upon the vine. If you can stay focused on being the branch, it's going to make this journey in front of you a lot more joyful. If you start being the vine, you're going to feel pressure that was never meant to be yours to carry. You're going to feel a weight that was never meant to be your burden. So that is my challenge to you. It's to be the branch. Just, just be the branch. Let me pray for you. God, I thank you for my brothers and sisters in this room. I thank you for their faithfulness to you. I thank you, Holy Spirit, for what you're doing in these moments.
I'm proud of many of them for putting themselves in a position where they're going to be confronted with your call and they're going to have to measure a lot of what they've heard from other people and what other people say they should do with their lives against what you have called them to do. And so, God, I pray that you would let them know that what you've called them to, you are with them every step of the way, that they, they are not alone. I thank you, God, for the joy of, of being the branch, discovering that your strength is made perfect in our weakness and your grace is sufficient. And what you've called us to, even before production, you've called us to connection. And so more than anything else over these next few days, that's what we want to do, Jesus. We want to connect more deeply to you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. How great was that? Man. Um, I want to just take a couple minutes and process. First, I just, I so appreciate, Kyle, that you, um, you just, you took responsibility for some pastor's failures that weren't yours. And I think that it's such an honorable thing to, to do that. And I, I want to say I'm sorry for the guy that wrote you that letter. I have never written a letter like, quite like that. <laughs> I've actually never written a letter to a pastor, but in my heart, I've definitely criticized pastors and preachers. And so I just want to confess that to you and tell you I'm sorry for, and for us who don't even understand how hard it is to do what you're doing and to be in front of people and have them micro-examine your life on a daily basis. And I want to tell you thank you for answering God's call and serving people with your gifts and giving all that you've got to seeing one person change at a time. I just, I genuinely appreciate it and want to tell you thank you. So we have a, we have a few minutes and I want us, what I really feel like I want to do at this time is I want to respond to Jesus. So we heard so much good stuff in that, um, you know, the baptism stories were just, were so rich and there's this, there's, I have this sense again that God is working in people's lives and it draws them to this place of surrender. And this, there's these moments in our life, and there's a lot of them, where we have to continue to surrender. And honestly, if I, I, just, I feel like there's, even in a conference of medical missions, I am almost certain there is someone in here that doesn't actually know Jesus. And I want to just take a few minutes, and if it's just for that one person, I feel like this is worth it, okay? So... If you are here and you're hearing us talk and you feel like we're talking about something that doesn't happen in your experience, I want you to know Jesus is for everybody. There's no special code in our, that we have to do. Like this shirt, I felt like wearing it today and it's your best isn't good enough. Okay. Which is the vine. Your, your branch work is not good enough. You need the vine. So as good as you want to be, as hard as you want to try to serve people, to change the world, to be effective and make a change in this world, you can't do it without him. As much as you want to change yourself, I have a lot of friends who work really hard at changing themselves. They want to become better people. But without the vine, you just are left with yourself. And you can get cycled, but you can't really transform. So if you're here and you have never really met Jesus and experienced the things that we're talking about, this voice inside, this leading, this transforming presence, this loving presence, this place of acceptance then I want to invite you to come. Come talk to Kyle. Come talk to me. Talk to anyone you came with. 
You could have been in church your whole life and this could apply to you. So I'm just going to say it. If God is speaking on the inside of you, please tell someone and take the step towards him. Okay. For the rest of you guys, I want you to just pray for anyone that that might be. And then for you, I want you to think, God, what are you saying to me? So what from that talk, what from all that he expressed is my application for this morning? I'm going to give you guys just a couple minutes to reflect uh, again, if it's you and God's moving, come talk to Kyle, come talk to me now or after the rest of you guys. I want you to just pray for God to move and I want you to open yourself to him and ask him, what is it that you what's my takeaway from this morning and write it down. OK, so I'm just going to give you a couple minutes to reflect. just want to thank you guys again for honoring this time. Like it's really a special thing for me to just stand here and see you take space, like to honor some quiet space and to, to stay present in it, not run out, and to actually listen to God. Um, if something happened in you, please tell someone that you came with or tell somebody around. Again, we're family, so share it with the family. How powerful is it to hear people's testimony, just to hear the things that God has done in them, the things that God is saying to them? So don't keep that to yourself. Share it with people. It, it, it animates their faith. It brings them alive and it gives us hope. 